Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude, it is a decision, it is a project, it is a journey, it is a life choice. Every week I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. So here we are, my lady, my Tamsin. I am so excited to have you. I don't know, like, I think that the universe gives us exactly what we need when we need it. I know that. Let's rewind. I know that. And you are one of those people. So we've got Tamsin Astor, PhD, founder and, and chief habitat scientist of Yoga Brain Coaching. She is known for giving her clients the tools to shift their mindset, organize their vision, and improve their habits to create an efficient, productive business. And she is about to lay it down for us. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so truth be told, we are doing another project together. And yep. I messaged her this morning and I said, I want to switch what we're talking about today because I want you on immediately because Muscle of Self is just beginning. And I already have a year of women signed up mm -hmm. to share their story. And you know what I wanted to ask you? Were you ever afraid to speak in front of people or to talk oh about God. yourself? completely really like, uh, when I was a kid I almost didn't in England you go to as a girl you go to primary school and secondary school so at 10 you do exams and you have interviews to get into school that you go to from 11 to 18 and I was put on the wait list for the school that I really wanted academically I passed all the tests and my mom called up the school and said hey you know I think my daughter would be a really good fit for the school the community yada yada you know can you tell me why she didn't get in and they said she didn't speak in the interviews. I, like, I was so shy as a kid. I was very tall for my age. Um, and I was very- Was well, that something you were self-conscious about, your, your height? Yeah, yeah. I was always like way taller than all my peers. Um, and um, I was really shy to talk in public. And it was really, for me, partly going to that school, which really encouraged us to find our unique strength whether it was academic, whether it was sport, whether it was drama, whether it was, you know, organization and clubs or whatever um, that that helped with that. Um, and then also um, realizing that I had had I had a message to share. So I actively put myself in positions that required me to kind of get over it. So, you know, when I first moved to the US, I took on a whole lot of adjunct lecturing positions because I thought, you know, that like if I stand up in front of people for hours every week, I'm just going to have to get over myself because I can't live in that level of stress. <laughs> so you actually placed yourself in a position where you had to walk through it. Yeah, I love it. So we're going to get to there in a minute um, because that is all about our worth and our voice. And I want to talk to that. But before we even do that, I want to know why you said yes to this crazy conversation. Because I think that it's really, really important to have a whole load of diverse women and men, but women particularly talk about their struggle. And I think that the world we are in right inhabiting right now is that we're getting much more comfortable about admitting the stuff that we find hard, right? Because I feel like, I feel like sort of, you know, 20, 10, 50, even like 10, 15 years ago, you know, you're, 
famous people on social media didn't say I'm I'm sober didn't say right. I used to self-harm didn't say right. I used to be an addict I had an eating disorder right an eating disorder didn't say I blah 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 right it was all like right I'm, and I'm it was also like right and I've success overnight not that it took me 20 years of waiting right. tables and working shitty jobs and blah, 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 right and so I think we've got to this place now where you know actors can be gay and and still play straight parts right and you know people can be trans and play and play for, you know, and all of and we can talk about all of what makes us human i.e our fallibilities and our weaknesses and the things that we've struggled with as well as all of the like yay look at all the success stuff right that's so interesting that you said that because I was listening to, I love listening to commencement speeches. Mm. I don't know why it gets me, it just always gets me. And I was listening to Ellen DeGeneres mm. and you can see how dated it is because she made this huge deal, which to her was a huge deal then about how her coming out, she lost her career right. for years. She said for the phone didn't ring for three years. Yeah. And I talk about that with my kids and they don't even understand what I'm talking about. Like, what do you mean right. they fired her for being gay? And so- I love that we're able to have these conversations now. And I was thinking about it this morning when I was listening to NPR and they were talking about all these women that are coming out now about another man that's touching yeah. them. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. at first, the, the cynical part of me that always goes to what the skeptic is going to say, because I, I want to know what they're going to say is why are they all coming out now? How come no one said anything before that? And what usually those voices are, are asking are people who have no idea they're usually not the same gender and they don't understand that it is terrifying to admit something that happened that doesn't feel black and white that feels really confusing and gray and jeopardizes us in such you know so many different ways but i want to have these conversations because they affect us so deeply absolutely yeah no i think it's really important by the way i've got my um rbg oh you do i love no one can they're beautiful my earrings i got them at the i got them at the malt museum last weekend yes. when i went to the notorious rbg exhibit she's yes so so grateful um so here's my first question and i'm not finding a lot of women that are around our age that are in this boat but i know growing up i always heard women talking about this do you ever hear women that don't want to admit their age you know, it's so funny that, yes, occasionally, not in my age group, I tend to not find, but I find that women in the sort of 50, 55, 60 plus age range do. And, I, you know, to me, it's astonishing. I'm like, I'm 44, I'm 44, I'm 44. Like, who gives a crap? I'm right. 44. And it's the same, like, I picked up this face wash and I every now and again, I go through my like bathroom cupboard and stuff and go, okay, I've got to clean it all out. Yeah. And I picked up this one that said, age defined. And I was like, why would I want to define my age? I just want to clean my damn face. Can like you just say that is so beautiful that you said that. And you know, it's like a bajillion dollar industry. And again, what I want everyone to always hear in my audience is I'm not against anything that anyone wants to do. Like right. whatever works for you to make you feel strong and beautiful and powerful, but you're so right. Why would I want to defy this gift of my life? Right. But I'm noticing this and, and I know that sometimes, so I'm going to be 42 at the end of March. And I know that I'll have random people that are like in my world or on social media, they'll be like, happy 29th. Cause they think it's like making me feel, I, first of all, no, thank you. Do not yeah. want to be 29 again. All right. Okay. I was two and a half children, like, like babies. Yeah. No, thank you. But why, why do you think society doesn't want us to acknowledge our age? 
It's a really interesting question, and I'm not really sure what, why, why women are not supposed to. I, it's, I suspect, suspect it all comes into the fact that you know when men go grey, they're distinguished, and women are supposed to cover it up, and you know, or like the corset. I remember I had a girlfriend in college whose grandmother had died a slow and painful death because she tied her corset so tight that it had severed her liver. Wow. Over, over like, you know, over like a decade, right? About, trying to maintain this ridiculously small waist. And again, it's like, like this to me is insanity that we would confine ourselves in that, in that way to fit this ideal, right? And I, and I, you know, I suspect it's, you know, it's like, I should have worn my, like on Wednesdays, we smashed the patriarchy. I love it. You know? <laughs> but you know what I'm really noticing from these conversations and from my own examination is the world around us and ourselves because of the message we're hearing wants us to be smaller mm -hmm. and quieter and take mm -hmm. up less space mm -hmm. and make less noise. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I don't want to do that anymore, but, yeah. but growing right. up for me, I was told that big is not pretty and whatever yeah. that meant. Yeah. I'm not even talking about just body size. I'm talking about being loud, being you know, right. I'm, I, I'm not a lady because I don't eat a certain way. And I, I, I have a yeah. potty mouth and I'm just, yeah. I've always been like, fuck you. Like, and yeah. I interviewed a woman <laughs> yesterday and she told me about a fuck it bucket. And I yeah. love that because that's where mm -hmm. she puts all of the shit that she doesn't care about anymore. Yeah, totally, totally. I went to a, I went to a, to a, like a witchy ceremony where we like wrote it all down and then we burnt it in our fuck it buckets. What did you burn? <laughs> what are some of the things you burned? Um, so for me, like the, the, like being, you know, allowing certain voices to take dominance in my, in my world that I don't, people who, you know, uh, uh, I've allowed to, I like, I let in, but not, I'm like, no, you're not going to have that power. Right. So that, so that was one of it. And then another was like, I forget how I phrased it, but it was basically along the lines of, you know, I'm not going to not do the thing because I think my body is embarrassing. Like I'm not going to strip naked and jump in the sea or wear shorts or get on the bicycle or the horse because so you're my... not going to withhold yourself from doing something because of how it looks. Right. Or how like my thighs might jiggle or whatever. Right. I'm going to, you know, not not restrain my my experiences and my joy and my pleasure based on this arbitrary idea I have that I must look a particular way or fit in a particular way to do that thing right right and thank god we're not celebrities and no one's taking pictures of us while we're doing it right. and posting exactly. which adds another whole level I can't even imagine of, you know I went my one of my cousins married into a family that was connected to the royal family and so at her wedding Prince William and Kate were at her wedding and my cousins and I were at the pub before the wedding. And as we walked out of the pub, a whole load of paparazzi started snapping cameras in our faces. And we all kind of stood there and went, and then they realized that we were not that interesting and they went on their <laughs> merry way. But we all kind of walked to the church going, like that's, that's some people's every day. And thank God, like we don't have to live that way. And we were all kind of like shaken and like, that's horrible. Because <laughs> it's know? a lot, it's a, but we do that to ourselves. Yeah. Right. Okay. I want to set the stage. I, I'm going to give you three sections that we're looking at our body, our worth and our voice. And I want you to rate yourself currently on a scale of one to 10. One is I'm a monster to myself and 10 is I'm aware I'm a pretty awesome human. How do you rate your body image? I'd say my body image is a, probably a solid seven right now. What about your self-worth? 
I can imagine it was like about an eight, like pretty high. Yeah. What about your your willingness to use your voice? Oh, a ten. So you know, I'm actually surprised feeling. that your worth is not higher. What yeah, is you the know, way? I think that's partly because I'm not quite where I want to be at yet in my business. Um, and, um, and I found the pandemic hard, not for, in business terms, but in terms of like the social contact piece, cause I'm an extrovert and I, you know, get a lot of joy and pleasure and affirmation from being with people. Um, and so that has been a struggle in the last year. So I want to just hone in on this cause I find it to be so interesting cause I want to know where we are all judging ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you're self-worth is connected to the level of where you want to be in business and, and other parts of my life too right but, right, but in so that I, area that's where yeah, it's, like that's where it's not awesome that's where it's not awesome um and um and i know and i but i but i see the progression you know which yeah. is why it's not a three or a four is there like a any sort of tool or mantra you use when you get stuck in that like why am i not there yet why am i not where i want to be like that pulls yeah so you i think it's Partly it's, um, I think partly I do the, like, I'm supposed to be, I'm at where I'm supposed to be right now. Like, yeah. you know, like, let's not overthink this. Right. right. Um, partly I also have to sort of sometimes step back and go, you know, I started my business, you know, and you know, my cousin died, my ex-husband walked out. I got divorced. I moved twice. I, I herniated the disc. I got right. hacked. I got, so, you know, and there's been a pandemic, you know, and there's been a you know, so it's like seven year period. Like I've had lots of massive things. So it's like, you know, given that the fact that I've built a sustainable income generating business and that I started 2021 with 15 or 16 speaking gigs that people had come to me for is like, okay, like put yourself in the back girlfriend. Like, yeah, stop you ever you know. take a moment to go, you've made it because to me, because where I want to get to is to a place where I don't have to do another extra thing where I get to do just what I love right. and take care of my kids. And yeah. I'm not talking about like flying some special planes. I'm talking just being able to be secure in that. Yeah. But I find that we, we have this voice within us that it's like, you should be doing more. You should be working harder. Why are you not reaching out in this area? And that is exhausting to me. Right. But that's also like that. I mean, that's also the thing that I also have to step back and remind myself of. That's the way our brains work, right? We're evolutionarily designed to see where we're failing, where we're falling behind, where we're struggling to be like, okay, like, where do I need to like protect myself, protect my family, you know, like, you know, like antenna, right? Yeah. And so we have to like actively step into that place of appreciation and gratitude and, you know, positive reflection because, you know, that's not our baseline norm. That's so helpful to understand that because you're a scientist. So to hear that it's actually a normal thing for me to look for what's wrong rather than look for what's right. Yeah. I love that. Um, tell me about what the women were like when you were growing up around you that you looked at to see what beautiful was or what a woman should or should not behave like. Mm. So it's so interesting. So I grew up with a mother who to this day doesn't even wear like lip gloss, like nothing no makeup at all right and she just has this like wonderful like thick gray straight bob you know that people come up to her in the street and go where did you get your hair colored and she's like nature like, <laughs> um so i grew up never and, and like my external appearance was never a conversation of like part of my value structure it was you know my kindness my intelligence how i treated people what i was doing in the world you know what i was thinking about 
um, so it was interesting. So I grew up, you know, in a, you know, educated, interesting home in London with mixed race couples and gay couples and, you know, all different kinds of walks of artists and architects and doctors and the whole thing. And so, but I grew up thinking, not thinking about what I look like and placing any value on that. So it wasn't- Even that, as a teenager? No, it wasn't modeled for me at all. Like what I about really, in school? So I went to an all girls school, which was very kind of academic and sporty. So I probably didn't start exploring even makeup until I was 15 or 16. And it was still, you know, very, very limited. You know, it was You're not- You're so lucky that you didn't see that. No, right. And we wore school uniforms. So it was very, you know, it was much more about who we were, right? So um, it was never something that was really a big part of my experience. So for me, it was more about like the media, you know, like who, who were the, you know, so it was like Madonna, you know, or, you know, whoever was like the, the person de jour that, you know, that was in my space, you know, and I, and I didn't look at them thinking I want to model them. I just looked at them and thought like, you're like, you're doing your unique thing, you know, and I appreciated that. Like, I just felt like the famous people that I saw in my space growing up in movies and, um, you know, TV shows and music were just, I was like, oh, like, you know, you've got, you know, this person, Annie Lennox, the cropped peroxide blonde. You've so got you Madonna. didn't have an idea that you needed to strive to be like? No, it felt, much, felt to me much more about me cultivating my own independent look. And so when I did start playing with stuff, it was actually, it was more clothes that I started playing with versus makeup or jewelry. Um, and, and I used to love like, just like my, I had a really cool dressing up box that my parents who, um, would put all their old clothes in. And so I would sort of like, I remember pulling out a green velvet tailcoat when I was about 15 and wearing it over my Levi 501s and my Doc Martens and like going, and my mom being like, oh my God, can you just walk like, you know, 20 yards behind because <laughs> you look so crazy. I love it. I want that outfit. I want that. Wait, so, but you mentioned earlier that you were aware of your height. At what age do you become aware of your height or self-conscious of that? Because I was taller than most of my peers, right? And so I would notice that, you know, and so I would find myself kind of wanting to like hide a little bit because, you know, I'm five foot 10 now. And I think I was, by the time I was about 13, I was well over five eight. So um, what about that? If you grew up in such an open environment that wasn't focusing on looks, why do you think you wanted to cower? Why do you think you wanted to get smaller? I think it was a shyness thing in, in public. It was, at home I was fine. It was, it was, you know, partly like the school I went to, we sat in alphabetical order. And I was, because my last name's Asta, I was always the first. So like we, so I was sitting closest to the teacher at the front of the room. It was, you know, me and then Lucy Baker. So like we <laughs> sat next to each other in two desks, right? And so, you know, when you're right there at the front and also when, I, you know, when the teacher's looking, I'm to her right. And most people dominantly will look to the right first. So I felt like I received a lot of attention. So there, there, there was always that feeling of being like, being, not feeling like I was on show, but sort of feeling like I had to make sure I knew where I was and what was going on. And, um, and I That's think- That's so me, interesting. Yeah, fear of failure was a thing. Like I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Did you have that in academics? Like, were you worried about not meeting a certain standard or getting certain grades? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've always been very academically driven. And, um, 
you know, uh, and I've always had that, like my ex-husband used to find it incredibly irritating. He'd call it like the toddler thing. Cause I'll, you know, or like the Hermione thing. I'd be like, oh me, me, I know the answer if I knew it, you know, or like, why? Why? How? Why? Why? Like, I want to know the answer. Why? Why? How? <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, I love to engage with the stuff that I also had fear around, like performance, you know? I'm so shocked because you are like a burst of energy now. Know, people are so shocked. <laughs> I'm so grateful you walked through that because the world would have missed so much. Um, I want to know you, one of the things you said that as a teenager, you did struggle with was mean self-talk mm. what kind of mean self-talk did you have oh so i played um i was at played field hockey and i fenced so i was tall but i also had a tendency to be very muscly right so i had these like big quads big muscly quads and i'd get big delts you know from like all of those sort of sports um and i remember going um to a uh summer school in germany when i was 16 and um this dutch guy started dating this american girl and the way that people all sort of hooked up in these things um and um i was relatively flat chested and muscular right um and and he made a comment about he's like he looked at me and he's like i was a woman and i was as flat chested and muscly as you i'd be so mortified wow i was 16 and i remember like it really like hit me in the heart like because it was like firstly like i can't do anything about how flat chested i am like right you know you know like i was you know um and i just remember just being like so insulted by this and it was so funny because the woman he was with the girl he was with was way bigger than me like but curvy like sort of marilyn-esque but like big boob but like really wide hips and just like sort of luscious right um and i remember like like sad thinking like oh like it's like um, <laughs> like you know was that the first time anyone ever spoke to you like that about your body um that was the first time somebody sort of specifically i mean it's like i cycled to school and took public transport in london from the age of 11. and so i had had lots of commentary on my body from like you know like you know like men digging holes you know that is such a great great thing you're just talking about right now. I never know, like, how do you handle that? And how do you handle that? So as a, as a kid on my bicycle, so like as a 12 year old, when some guy would, you know, I'd cycle past and he'd go, you know, shows your pussy, you know, yeah. like that, you know, I would turn around and go, Fuck you. you did. I like cycle you. even faster. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I just, I would just shout back at them, you know? I can't even believe that that guy, what did you say when that guy said that to you about your body? I just, I just sort of took it because I, like, I didn't have the wherewithal to turn around and, you know, make some quip about the size of his genitalia or something, which right. I probably would do now, <laughs> you know? But you know what, I have to tell you, so I have been in those situations as an adult where, and I like myself. And I remember so well, I was leading a meeting of a sober meeting um, older gentleman came up to me and he was like flirting with me, which you're not supposed to do at meetings. I was the lead. So I was dressed nice. And he looked at me. I've never met in my life. And he said, you'd be my type if you had bigger tits. And then one minute later, I had to share my story about like killing, trying to kill myself and get sober. And then he had the balls, not even balls. Cause you don't need balls to do this. You need ovaries to do this. He had the 
idiocracy to come to me after, give me his number and say, I would like you to lead my home group on this date. And I was so confused because I was taught that I'm supposed to say yes to be of service. But this guy just totally was disgusting to me. So I didn't say anything. I went home. I like processed it with my people. And I called this person. And I said, I want you to know that what you said, you know, I, I called him out on it. He was totally like, I can't believe you were offended, blah, blah, blah. But my thing is, even as a woman today who likes herself and who has a voice and worth, I was not able to say what I needed to say in that moment. Do you ever get stuck like that still? Or do you, are you always able to respond? No, I mean, I think, you know, I feel like I'd be saying tempting, tempting fate if I can always, if I'd say I'm always going to respond, but I think I feel much more empowered now to respond. I care less. I give less fucks as it were. <laughs> right. Um, and I think I also, um, I think I'm more now at a place where I recognize it's projection, right? Like it's a, a big part of it. And I remember learning this work that, you know, you're trying to play your movie on my screen and it's just, I'm not like, I'm not, that's not like, that's not available right now. I'm and right. so I think, you know, what I've learned to do now is, is to respond pretty much in the moment. But, um, but I mean, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't know that I always hope I will. I hope that I always will have the, you know, the, the, the ovaries, the vagina to be like, yes. <laughs> so tell you know. me, when that guy in Germany said that to you, did that bring about your mean self-talk? Oh yeah, exactly. Those are the sorts of experiences. So it was that, it was that sort of thing that would bring about the mean self-talk or it was the fact that, you know, um, like, you know, like my girlfriends all like got bras before me or, you know, like it was just, it was this sort of classic teenage girl things, you know, and I'm so glad I didn't grow up in a mean girls sort of environment, you know, and we didn't have the internet and all of that. Like, <laughs> so let know, me ask like, you a question. You have two boys that are teenagers. Yeah. And a daughter, your daughter is 11. She's nearly 10. 11. She'll be 11 yeah. next month. Yeah. So I am, you know, the mother of three boys, but I also want to know as a mother of teenage boys, do you have any interaction with them about, I'm sure you do, about how to talk about women and how, like, we have these discussions all the time in my house when we're watching all right. the stupid shows. And I'm like, why are these adult men calling women girls and chicks? Right, right. Like, that's right. weird. What right. are your what are your experiences like with your boys to try to help them not be assholes? Right. So I mean, one of the conversations we have is about what it means to be a feminist, you know, and um, and that you don't need to be a woman to be a feminist, um, and that feminism is really about you know equality rather than that women are better. But some of the conversations we have around that is how women, you know, some of the conversations that they will bring up is how feminists will often, you know, in that what feels to them as go too far. And I'll say, look, often for people to hear the to hear the point the first time round, to be understood is to say it to the, like the nth degree, right? And so sometimes you're going to hear somebody say something that sounds really extreme, but they're just trying to get your attention so that they can start the conversation. So we'll right. often talk about how, you know, people will present in a very extreme way to, you know, to kind of trigger the like, the like, let we need to have a conversation about this, right? Um, the other thing we talk about is the way people dress and, and then the relationship between what people dress and what that means about who, their, them, their, who they are, their morality or not, <laughs> right? That is so important. And what are, they, what are they talking about? What are you seeing with teenage boys at this point? Well, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, they recognize that there are certain outfits and looks that convey certain messages. Uh, but, you know, the thing that, that they that they notice a lot about social media is the way that girls use social media 
and um one of them came off social media because he was just like this is too tedious for me to even tell me how they perceive girls using social media now the girls will go on there going like making the pouty faces a day or gosh don't i look terrible or like these old jeans and everybody's like oh my god baby you're gorgeous you're amazing and he's like and they just say look they go on there looking for that gratification looking for the affirmation looking for, for their that worth for that they're worth. trying to find their worth from somebody else which is our and, number one problem right and they and you know and one of my sons noticed that at about 13 when he joined instagram and he was like i refuse to engage in that and he's you know had to boundary some of his relationships around that because that bothered him the fact that you know certain people in his in his peer group were using it to the detriment of their interpersonal interactions with people. That just shows what you're doing with him at home, that he's able to recognize that, that this doesn't feel okay. So what about with your daughter? What kind of conversations are you having with her? Have you seen anything with her? I just got off a call with someone and they told me that their five-year-old daughter said that her belly was too big. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I like, and I've seen that. So my daughter is tall, like me too. She, you know, she's 10 and she's five over five, four already. Right. So she's, you know, so she's well on her way. So she, you know, is tall and, you know, we have to watch that, you know, the, the social media will set, send particular messages about what it looks like, what you should look like, how you should feel, how you should dress. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I really, you know, um, stress with her is, is travel. Like we travel a lot and this last year has obviously been a bit strange in that respect, but just in terms of, you know, how that breeds tolerance and how it changes our expectations for what is quote unquote normal, right? In terms of how people dress, you know, so for example, when we go to Brazil, like she notices the fact that all of the girls have their ears pierced at birth right which is true like in in hospital in brazil the wow. pediatrician takes the boys and snips and takes the girls and pierces her ears like wow the birthday they're born right like that's just what happens in brazil right and so she notices that right and and you know and so we had this conversation about you know for me having your ears pierced felt more like decoration and more like sexualization and that it wasn't something we did at like one or two or three years old right we did it or birth right you know so you know and i actually let her have she and i went and i got second holes pierced and she got her ears pierced during the pandemic um, you know, and I'd said to her initially, I'll, we, I want you to wait till you're 13. So we, so travel, I feel like the experiential piece is really important in terms so of like helping her see other I, identities of what beautiful looks like instead of exactly. And what, and what is considered normal in different, in different cultures, right? Like in terms of how people dress. So for example, when my son and I went to Japan, he noticed the fact that the men dressed in a much more uniform manner and that even though it was summer the women if their skirts went above the knee they had stockings on they had tights on right and that there's that, that this would be considered low cut for a woman in japan and they didn't wear tank tops you know even in tokyo which is you know uh, you know a, like a thriving city with millions of people in it right and so he noticed that he also noticed that the the straight men carried purses like handbag like what we would consider like a handbag like you know you know straight men on the subway were carrying handbags you know so he was noticing that and so for me the experiential like i can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk right but it's the seeing and the experiencing through being in different communities that i feel is the best teacher i love that i love that
at what point in your life did you become aware that like you are not going to allow the mean self-talk to be part of your regular deal? It was interesting. So when I became a Buddhist, I remember one of my first um, teachers said to me, you know, when you allow negative self-talk or sort of perseveration over an event that didn't go the way you wanted it to go, or, you know, I'll only be happy when conversation, you're taking up mental real estate. And if you think about your mind as like Manhattan real estate, why the fuck would you waste so much of it on all of that shittiness when you could be changing the goddamn world? So you are a chief habit scientist. And what mm-hmm. I'm identifying when I talk to everybody and for myself is small things like vocabulary, um, the way that we say words about ourselves or about like I'm trying to get rid of skinny and fat in my vocabulary. I'm trying to talk about being healthy and strong and fit, but women Mm -hmm. that I'm talking to say that they don't know how to make the change in their brain when they are mean to themselves. Do you have any tips or tools for when you get stuck in your head about I'm disgusting? Yeah. So I, um, I, if you think about the, the brain as like a rose bush, right. And if you don't prune, the, the energy is going to be diverse. Or if you've got one particular one that's growing and you don't want it to grow and it's that negative self-talk one. So the way I say it is you just got to reprogram it because the beliefs you have about yourself are simply decisions you've taken. Mm. The beliefs you have about yourself are decisions that you have made. And what do we know about decisions? You can change your decisions, right? So it's simple, but, but not easy, <laughs> right? So if you say like, so after I got divorced, I remember thinking I'm not lovable, right? And my ex-husband did a lot of like- Wait, you can know, you pause? Why did you think that? Well, so I'll give you an example, right? Like my ex-husband was like, you know, you have baggage, you have three children, right? Nobody's gonna fall in love with somebody who's got so three So he was children. telling you that. So, that? so that was a big source of it, right? And then there was another part of me being like, well, I'd been with him since I was 22. Like, I can't imagine, he was the first person I fell in love with. Like, I can't imagine like opening up my heart, my mind, my body to another human. Like, I like how, like, ah, (laughs) you know, so there's all of this stuff going on, right? So, you know, if you then internalize that belief structure, you're emitting the energy, the actions, the feelings, the thoughts, the words of I'm not lovable. And then your behavior is going to affirm that belief. And you're just created, you just create this loop of I'm not lovable. It I'm is a like, loop. It's a repetitive loop. It just over and over and over. So you have to so you have to sniff it and, and create a new one, which is I'm lovable. And then it's like, well, what's the evidence that I'm up? My children love me, my parents love me, my friends love me. Like there is evidence that the 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 the, the positive version of this is true. Right. And then how do I feel when I think I am lovable? I feel joyful. I feel happy. I feel like leaning into that. And then I just say to myself, I literally have to reprogram and stand in front of the mirror every day. I am lovable. I am lovable. I am lovable. I am lovable until one day it's like, oh, I don't think I'm not lovable anymore. I'm like, I'm fucking lovable. Right. You have to, but you have to act as if until it it happens, you do the action and then the belief happens because that's really what it is for me. I'm having conversations with myself. And I'm like, that's bullshit. And no, 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 no. I'm not going to go to that place. No, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I'm making the decision, but it's about me using my, it's so interesting. I get to use all three parts. 
I need to know my worth in order to use my voice so I can be okay with my body. Mm-hmm. And all three yeah. of them work together, right? Same thing with like my worth and, and being able to use my voice because I'm worthy of asking for what I need. And if I don't get it, saying no, thank you. Yeah. Because that's about knowing, but it's also about understanding that. And I think that one of the gifts that me and you have gotten from our divorces is we are so much stronger than we thought we were. And we can do so much more on our own. So there's not this fear of, at least for me, that I need somebody specifically to make it okay. Because I don't. Right. It's lovely to have a partner that I love and I do, but I don't need him to mm-hmm. be here to do my life with me like it's right. extra you know what i mean totally 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 yeah so right before we get into the lightning round i want to have you do you want me to read your quotation which is one of my favorite in the whole world or do you have it in front of you go for it read it read it and by the way you know this is in the front of my book like and it's on my refrigerator yeah it's my one of my favorite for a seed to achieve its greatest expression it must come completely undone the shell cracks, its insides come out, and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. Is that Cynthia Ocelli? Yeah, and I had it, like, I had a quotation wall as I was going through my divorce, and that was one, and I, which I read to myself twice a day, and that was the one I remember just- I have up. it on my refrigerator. I have it in the front of my book with the other one, which is the trouble is you think you have time. And I want to know why you chose this one to help us in this area. Because it, it, for me, it's about recognizing the evolution, right? And that evolution is not always comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, right? I think there's often this, one of the things that I found with the work I do with people around changing your habits is, is, is the fear piece around like looking, like pausing and going, like how am I actually spending my time? Where is my time and attention going? And does it reflect the life that I am really trying to create? right? So there's that sort of fear piece around it. And then if you do peel back the hood, look under the cover, whatever it is, or whatever metaphor you want to use for that, you know, it's fucking messy. You know, growth is not beautiful, right? It's messy, you know, and, you know, and like in, in all the different parts of it, like I love um, uh, Jamila Jamil, the way she's like, you know, stretch marks are my body's expression of taking up space, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, rather than being like an imperfection of my skin. You but know? I also love what this quote is saying about that, this reminder that to us, when we're looking at it on the outside, it could look like yeah. complete destruction, but yeah. for someone who doesn't understand because they don't understand, they have not been through the process, they're ignorant about it. That's what it is. Like, that's what I love that idea about you you buried us, but you didn't realize we were seeds. You know, like that idea that from the darkness, from the hard times, we become something more. And that is, I think the message that I really want everyone to hear, especially from what you're saying is, if you're going to go about this journey of making the decision to change your habits and to change the way you're talking and living your life to get to a place where you love yourself as is, you're willing to use your voice and your worth, then it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to lose friends along the way and you're going to have to, you know, shatter some ideas and concepts you have about yourself, you know? I love that. What do you, what do you think is one of the ideas or concepts you had about yourself besides not being lovable that you've had to shatter along the way? 
um, uh, like the failure success idea, right? I, you know, I think for me, like when things would go wrong, I'd be like, I'm a failure. And I would tend to like throw the baby out with the bathwater that like when, you know, I'd try to launch a program and I'd get three people signing up and I'd be like, I'm a failure. Everything yeah. I do doesn't work, you know, rather than being like, you just didn't fucking market that properly. Right. Maybe you didn't word it right. Maybe you didn't want this right now. <laughs> like that doesn't mean right. that everything else you do is crap. <laughs> so the reminder is not to let the results dictate Right. 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 So it's about being committed. So that's one of the things that I like always like I stick within my business is being committed to the action, not the outcome. Mm. I love that. Um, before we get into the lightning round, I want to know what made you say seven about your body and what would you need to do to get to a 10 in your mind? So for me, I'm I put on a little bit of weight during the pandemic and I yeah, like, <laughs> and right. And for me, the issue is not so much how I look, it's that I have um I herniated a disc three years ago and the extra weight make gives me more pain. So it's more of a kind of like, you know. So, so your your negativity or not happiness with it is not necessarily about like I'm not this size or this number. I it's no, about it's I know not. my body hurts when it's this yeah. size. Right. And for me, you know, so, and it's, what's interesting about it is like, if men tend to find me more attractive when I'm heavier, because I am, I'm, I'm very hourglassy, you know, I've always got the, I've, whenever I put on weight, I put on weight all over. So it's great. Like I've got great big boobs now that I can wear a bra. So I'm like, fuck yeah, you know, and I've got a small, you know, so it, like, that's great. And I know men find me attractive and I feel sexy, but like the extra weight just makes my back, low back ache. So for me, it's just a kind of like an, okay, like, just like, you know, don't have the second serving, maybe have this junior scoop of ice cream at Mitchell's, have the one glass of wine. <laughs> Instead of the duo. Glass. Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, ready for our lightning round? Yeah. What would your 80-year-old self say to you now? Keep wearing the red lipstick, darling, you're doing fabulous. <laughs> I love it. What is holding you back from getting to a 10 in all three areas? So I think a large part of my life is about um, asking for support, right? And my 2021 word is, is delegate. So, you know, it. in all different areas. So for me, it's really about leaning into. So tomorrow I'm onboarding a VA who I'm going to be hiring for 20 hours a week, which is a huge up level in my business, you know, and she's going to be doing a lot of stuff for me. Um, which is really exciting, but also like beyond nerve wracking that I'm looking to supporting somebody else. Cause I don't want to take her on and drop her after a month. Right. Um, so it's delegating, whether it's asking for help, like with my, like during the pandemic, I signed up for blue apron to get two of my sons to cook two meals a week for us, you know? So it's about, it's about asking for the calling in and asking for the support and being, and not seeing that as like, there's something wrong with you, you know? Right. And not having that mean talk about it. You talked about that with me yeah. and you told me that you don't make lunches for your kids and that right. that's your culinary 101 is you make your own lunch. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. During that. the pandemic, when we're all working from home, like I make you breakfast and I bring you cups of tea and coffee and we all have dinner together, but you're on your own in the middle of the day. What makes you consider somebody to be beautiful? Oh, for me, it's that, it's that, it's the glow from within. It's, it's not so much the, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the sparkle in the eyes and the smile that comes from them, like being fully present, you know, looking for the joy and really enjoying each experience, whether it's being like, oh my God, this is the best cup of tea I've ever drunk, yay, or like giving you a hug and like them not like, you know, kind of being like, okay, like when can I let go, you know? 
So your your beauty and attraction is to someone who's like really present. Yeah. And really sucking present. like the joy up, right? Right. And and also I think a beauty as well for me is being committed. Mm. I think it's hard to be beautiful if everything is very superficial, right? So for me, like a big part of it is that it's I guess you could just say is that you have passion for mm. something. And it could be being a parent for, for dogs, for, you know, ACLU, for, you know, growing apples. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's that you, you have passion and joy and you learn and you engage and you show up and you talk about and you're excited about, you know? Um, what makes a woman strong to you? Mm. I think what makes a woman strong is being confident in herself and her abilities. Um, and honestly, and this is probably uh, something that will upset some people, is I think that motherhood changes a woman in a way that nothing else does. Because there's something about growing, feeling a human growing inside of you, breastfeeding a human, and then having like your heart walk around outside your body, you know, more than one time. <laughs> you know, that, you know, you can't compare to the love you have for your dog or your brother or your mother, you know, it's just completely fucking different. It is. Um, what do you want others to say about you when you're not in the room? Um, that she sparks the joy in me, that she makes me happy about who I am and the choices I make. And, um, that she, that she, you know, makes me feel love. Like that she sees in me the good in me, you know? Two more questions. If you found out that December 31st, 2021 was your last day on earth, what would you do with this year? Ooh, what would I do with this year? Um, I, I would like screw the travel ban and start traveling. Where would you go first? So I would go and see my parents who I haven't seen in a year and a half because oh. I normally see them every three months with my kids um, and um, and then I would take my kids wherever they wanted to go and we'd eat whatever we wanted to eat and like we're all foodies. So I would love to go to the night markets in like sort of Hong Kong and China and Asia before yes. they get like regulated and eat like dim sum that some grandmother has been cooking for like 40 years from the same pot, you know? <laughs> I think that that would be magical. Yeah. Taking your kids and being like, let's go. Yeah. Last question. What one piece of advice or words would you like to have every woman hear? Ooh. Take radical responsibility. Mm. Unleash, like, you know, love yourself, listen to your, so I think a big part of that is, and the thing that I work on a lot with my clients is listen to your intuition, act on your intuition so that you create that self-trust loop, right? So just Take responsibility for, for that in your life because it'll have massive ripple effects. So when you say take radical responsibility, are you saying that when you're listening to your intuition, you need to then follow it up with action? I love Absolutely. it. Thank you for your fabulousness. <laughs> and you know what? I would say all those things about you when you're not in the room. Thank you. It's true. I love you. Thank you. I love you too. Yes. Have an amazing day. All right. Bye, honey. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon. 
as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 la,